1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 119 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, This is Adam, and I'm all by myself, and it's early morning on a Friday, so this is going to get a little weird. Uh, I was actually listening to a podcast on the way in to work this morning, and I was realizing we've done 119 of these now, and we don't have like a fun intro that you can expect to hear the same thing every time. Um, like if you listen to the Nerdist, Chris Hardwick is always like, "Well, welcome to the Nerdist podcast. This is Chris Hardwick." is you know, he says the same thing every single time. Um, we don't have one of those, and we also don't have like any. We don't do anything fun with the first part of our intro. I have teased for a long time that I'm gonna start one of these podcasts like it's the beginning of the play cabaret. Just do like a "Welcome, bienvenue, book nerds." But I haven't done that yet, other than this fake one. Um, So anyway, if anyone has any fun ideas, let me know. Because I feel like we should should make this our own. We should have a little fun with it. Although it might be too late after 119 episodes. I digress. Um, Hi, everyone. If you're listening to this, it's a Monday morning. And I hope that made you smile just a little bit. Uh, Or at least it's a Monday morning. When this goes out, you can listen to it anytime you want. Uh, today's episode is an interview I did with a wonderful young new author named Kate Dolan Leach. You know, when you, uh, you know when you meet somebody and they are just instantly, you can just tell they're a supremely talented human being, um, Kate is one of those people. Uh, the book she wrote is called The Dead Letters and it's all about these two twins that do not get along and, um, one of them dies in a mysterious way, and then the other one comes back and is trying to figure out what's going on, um, and the one who died left a bunch of letters for her sister uh, to try to kind of figure out what uh, what happened, but we go more in depth in the actual podcast. But Kate, as a person, oh my goodness, you guys, uh, she is a literary translator in addition to... Uh, a novelist, which means that she takes books from different languages and translates them to other languages, uh, which immediately means you know multiple languages, which is more than I can say about myself, um, You know, and then you also have to be able to decipher what the meaning that the authors are trying to get out of certain uh, phrases and sentences and all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, she studied at Trinity College in Dublin, so hashtag jealous Uh, we talk about that she has lived in paris and kind of all over the place just a all-around wonderful human being Uh, and it also helps that her book is quite quite good as well Uh, i think you guys will really enjoy this which sorry i know that i say that every time but um, we've been fortunate to get all these wonderful authors to talk to so uh, yeah kate is someone that i think you should learn about now because in the near future she's one of those people who I think is going to take over the world with her incredible talent and her writing and uh, everything that she does so uh, if you want to get a hold of us you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com if you're looking for some book recommendations or you want to just let us know how you feel you can do that you can also tweet at us at probooknerds uh, and again That's Jill and I on the Twitters, so we will happily respond. Uh, We've been doing some fun things the past uh, couple weeks, and we'll keep doing some fun things. Jill just did a really wonderful live event that we'll talk about more next week when she's back in the office. I don't want to steal her thunder. Uh, And then about a week and a half after this recording goes up, I will be in New York City for Book Expo America and BookCon. Uh, So if you guys are going to be at either of those two really fun events stop by the Overdrive booth and come find me I'll be interacting and interviewing uh, a whole bunch of really wonderful authors so um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and we got a whole bunch of great episodes coming up for you in the near future Uh, so that's about it Uh, happy to see you rest on Stay that's one more little cabaret joke for myself and anyone else who likes cabaret and Alan Cumming uh Yeah, those are all the things. All right, I have properly embarrassed myself and wasted a few minutes of your time before you get to hear this great interview with Kate Dolan Leach. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, this is Adam and Joe from Team Overdrive, and today we're joined by Kate Dolan Leach, who is a writer and literary translator. She was born in the Finger Lakes and is a graduate of graduate of Trinity College in Dublin and the American University in Paris. Her first novel, Dead Letters, is now available and has garnered wonderful reviews from the likes of the New York Times, Cosmopolitan, Entertainment Weekly, Pop Sugar, Kirkus, and a number of other publications. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for
2: having me. So would you mind kicking us off by giving, giving our listeners an introduction to Dead Letters?
0: Absolutely. Um, so Dead Letters is the story of a very damaged and dysfunctional family that run a failing vineyard on Seneca Lake in the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York. Um, in this family is a pair of twins, and one of them thinks that she has finally escaped from her family uh, and has moved to Paris. And started over a new life um, until she gets an email telling her that her twin sister has burned to death in a barn fire. So obviously she feels like she has to go home and get to the bottom of whatever happened because she knows her twin sister very well and suspects that that is not the whole story.
1: Okay and so as I mentioned uh, in, in the intro there's a few different places where you've lived that seemingly are settings in this novel. And so I'm curious, are there other aspects of your personal life that you've put into the novel, whether it's, um, you know, personal character traits or or anything that you've experienced in your life? You don't have to put any names in there. I don't want to have you throw anybody (laughs) under the bus, but any anything in your life that you also put into the story?
0: Uh, my family would like me to clarify for anyone who's ever considering reading the book that this is pure fiction and has <laughs> nothing to do with us. <laughs> um, we're not involved in the wine business. I don't have a twin. Nothing like that. Um, so I really just, I used the setting, which is not far from where I grew up, uh, as a sort of launching point, And then the characters and, and the shenanigans they get into, That that's all fabricated. <laughs>
1: I, I was. I'm curious. So, so would you consider yourself at all like either of the twins, Ava or Zelda?
0: I mean, maybe a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I guess as a writer, you put a little bit of yourself into every character. So it would be nonsense for me to claim that there's nothing uh, <laughs> that I share with them. But honestly, they're both these very um, almost caricatures of people. And they both go to such weird extremes in deciding which of them gets to have which personality characteristics. So I feel like, if, if anything, I would be somewhere in the middle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the different reviews have compared Dead Letters to everything from Gone Girl to Agatha Christie. What would you say are your own literary aspirations or inspirations when it came to writing this book?
0: Well, I, I love both those comparisons, and they <laughs> certainly were big influences, both of those books slash authors um, in writing, but um, I guess I drew probably most heavily from the Gothic tradition, and specifically Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. writing this book, nice. um, so there's a lot of sort of Poe uh, references folded into the book, um, and especially to the purloined letters. There are a lot of little hidden clues, and I use that as a, a nice little intertext um, to kind of uh, explore some of the the questions about communication and... and Uh, and using that sort of the basis of the detective novel as a, as a a launching point for the genre of the book. Uh,
1: Do you have any specific favorite uh, Poe stories that, that you tend to go back and reread or anything like that? I'm, I'm a big Poe fan myself, so I'm always curious.
0: I read the Pearline letter probably every couple of weeks while I was working (laughs) on this book. Um, So I've definitely got a familiarity with that one. And I, I, revisited a lot of the short stories that I hadn't read since I was probably, you know, in middle school, um, and then when I was 12, I memorized all of The Raven, and I have no idea how much I could continue to recite, but <laughs> oh it, at one point, that was all in my brain.
1: That's, <laughs> that's
0: impressive.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> I, I'm always i, I always I was kind of
0: a tedious seventh grader. <laughs>
1: He I'm always je- I'm always jealous when people say that they've done those sorts of things. Something that, that comes to my mind is I think every year for World Book Day or one of the literary holidays, uh, Neil Gaiman does this thing where there's this big donation that goes on, and then he'll read a book that um, basically anyone like these all the voters have asked that he reads, just because Neil Gaiman has a ridiculous voice and. Um, mm-hmm he did one year I think this year he read The Raven but last year he did the Jabberwock poem from Mm -hmm. Alice in Wonderland and he just had that memorized verbatim and I was just like I'm so jealous of anyone who can do that so kudos to you that's impressive
0: I did have. the Well, I think it might, might it might have gone in short term memory. Like I yeah. said, I'm not sure how much of it's still in there. I mean, <laughs> yes. even
1: even in the the short term, <laughs> I'm always anyone who says like, "Oh yeah, I memorized like the first half of Harry Potter." I'm like, "How did you do those things?" <laughs> so, you know,
2: hobbies. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> um.
1: So something that else, uh, else I want to ask you about, given that wine is very prevalent in the in Dead Letters, I'm not a huge wine fan, but my wife is. So I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Do you have any specific wine preferences yourself?
0: Maybe that's a nice overlap with me and Ava. Um, I think we share a similar palate. Um, <laughs> we tend to gravitate towards very dry white wines, uh, Sauvignon Blanc in particular. Um, so I've I've lived in a bunch of different wine regions um, in France, in Italy, in South Africa, and obviously here in my little home region of of the Finger Lakes, um, and it's definitely influenced my 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 taste and my palate. Um, but you know. Champagne, as always. <laughs> you can't go wrong with champagne.
1: Oh, so all that traveling you've done in, in your life, I know that uh, some of it was for school, but uh, were there other reasons you were living in these all around the world? It sounds like I'm, this is amazing.
0: <laughs> it's It's been kind of a, a crazy decade or so. Um, Most of that was for study, um, you know, for school. I was in Ireland, Italy, and France for school, but then my husband is South African, so we spent um, most of 2015 in South Africa for him to be teaching and do some research, Um, and that was just delightful, and I got to work on dead letters for a good chunk of that year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a gift to get to move around a bit before you're... Encumbered with all the the things that we get encumbered with.
2: I feel like that's like a writer's dream, just to like be in a foreign country and just write for like
0: and just sort of soak up the food and the flavors right. and the languages and yeah, it's it's kind of ideal because you know I was writing about my hometown in a place that was eight or nine thousand miles from there, um, and and I think that kind of gives you a weird distillation of of where you've come from and how far you came.
1: I'm jealous. I'm just gonna say uh, yeah, that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Well, now, now that I'm back home, I'm, I'm starting to get the wanderlust again. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous of my former self, I guess. So,
2: we mentioned in our intro that you're not only an author, but also a literary translator. So, um, mm-hmm. we just had a couple questions about that, starting with Is that what you studied in college, and how does one exactly become a literary translator? Uh,
0: yeah, with difficulty. Um, it is <laughs> not what I studied exactly, um, I did European studies. As an undergraduate which had a strong language component but was more about the politics and and cultural aspects of things and then i did a master's degree in cultural translation which uh, is adjacent to literary translation but doesn't map onto it exactly Um, and i ended up getting into translation because my husband who i met in this master's program was already a translator he translated two books Um, And then at some point, uh, a year or two after we finished the master's, he um, asked me if I wanted to work on a translation with him. Uh, We'd done some sort of informal translating and some freelance stuff, and I'd done some on my own with Italian before, but uh, this was the first chance I had to really work on a literary project, and I said, hell yeah. (laughs) And so we've done two books together that
1: way. Okay, I want to expand on this, because you're the first literary translator we've ever had a chance to speak with, so I... I'm really I'm fascinated by this. What does your job entail? I guess like what um, are you translating from languages you speak or are you translating from those that you don't speak and then what's the research process? like I, I just want to know everything about this.
0: It is and it's, and it's an intense weird process and you kind of don't know what you're getting in for until you take on a, a book project. Um, so I mostly translate from French. Every now and again, I'll do something from Italian. I speak both those languages, but not perfectly, obviously. Um, So I rely pretty heavily on external references and you have to double check basically everything to make sure that there isn't sort of a double meaning that you're not aware of as a non-native speaker. Um, So there's a lot of, uh, it's very slow and painstaking. So you kind of, you do a rough draft using just your sort of general knowledge of the language and then you have to go back and double check literally everything to make sure that you haven't just translated accidentally a hidden Moliere quote without realizing that it was a Moliere quote. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of double-checking, a lot of uh, slow, painstaking rewrites. Um, but, yeah. So, you, ha- you have to be able to speak at least a little bit of the language. Right.
1: So these are, are these, like, older texts that you're translating? Are they, like current books? I'm assuming they're kind of, they're older books, I would assume, but I should probably not do that.
0: They were both actually fairly contemporary. Um, One was originally published, I want to say, in 2000, and the other 2004 or 2005. So they're contemporary literature, but one of the authors was dead, and one of the authors was alive. So those experiences are different when you can actually reach out to an author and ask a question, you know, clarifying something strange and grammatical, um, versus when you're working with a dead author, I mean, you just kind of have to take a guess and hope that you haven't just ruined his book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so of, of, all the translations you've done, is there one that's been your favorite?
0: Um, well, I, I don't want to pick favorites out of the two um, <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> the two books that I've done. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll pick one that I didn't get published formally. Um, I was asked to do a freelance translation project where I had to um, translate a synopsis for a film that someone a French director was going to be pitching to someone in Hollywood. And it was a 20-page, just sort of, like, breakdown summary of this movie that they wanted to make. And it was the craziest movie I've ever heard of. It was, you know, the oldest woman alive living in Lapland, up near the Arctic Circle, and there were husky dogs running around, and it was just this absolutely trippy document. Um, So that's one of my favorite translation jobs that I've ever done.
1: Are um, Are you planning to continue doing the literary translations while also writing? I'm just... I'm trying to imagine a process of writing your own work while also working on translating something else. They have to be completely different experiences.
0: They really are. And I'm, you know, wrapping up a draft on a book right now. There'll be lots of revisions, obviously, but I find myself kind of hankering for a translation project um, just because it uses such a different part of your brain and takes some of the pressure off your decision making, but also asks you to engage a different kind of decision making. So I think I'd like to do a translation, maybe over the summer, um, if I can find the right find the right book and find the right time and and carve out a little while to, to just do that and, and give my fiction writing brain a break.
2: <laughs> um, speaking of your fiction writing, what is your writing process like? Um,
0: hmm. it's I tend to write very quickly very quickly and then do revisions for quite a bit longer. Um, Though, you know, I'm I'm finding each book is a little bit different. Um, I write for a few hours in the morning where I try and draft. And I draft, like I said, really quickly. I try to write a few thousand words. um, And then I'm not allowed to get up from my desk until I've done that. And then I get to have lunch. And in the afternoon, I'll go back and maybe do some revisions or work on emails and admin, or do some research, um, other other sort of, you know, the other parts of writing that aren't just putting words on the page.
1: Uh, so, so you mentioned trying to write a couple thousand words in the morning, which, by the way, is ridiculous. <laughs> um, it, it,
0: it, this is what people tell me. And I should clarify, I don't do it every day. I'm not one of those, like... Sit down every single day and write a few thousand words. I probably do that three or four times
1: a week. So, oh, that's that's and still. still. Part, you should give yourself some credit. That's still <laughs> that's still pretty amazing. Um, so, do you do? Uh, do you concern yourself with like word count, or do you? Are you one of the? We've had a few writers who tell us that they do like the whole Nano the National Writing National Novel Writing Month thing. They'll do that for themselves, like every month. Do you concern yourself with that, or is it more just like, okay, I, I need to write what I need to write today, and once you know everything's kind of left your brain, you, you leave it as is?
0: I think that really depends on my mood. On the days where I'm having a hard time and not feeling particularly into it, then I set a word count goal. Just write 2,000 words and then see. Um, but on good days when you're sort of wrapped up in the story and feeling carried away by momentum, then you just write until you're kind of out of words. <laughs>
2: Do you start with a distinct plot line an outline or do you just kind of let the story take a shape as you're writing?
0: I kind of prefer the latter. Um, for the one I'm working on now I had to submit an outline which was fine because I had a, a, a I, get, I usually know the broad strokes um, but I really like to let things crop up and surprise me as I'm writing because otherwise it's kind of you know it's kind of just like transcription if you're just sort of writing out plot points. Um, Mm -hmm. So I like to let the characters make a lot of choices, and they usually surprise me and change the ending. (laughs) So the outline is always just a a launching point.
1: That's amazing. Um, All right, so one of the things that we like to ask all of our authors is, well, normally we ask everyone about their favorite memories from libraries when they were growing up, but uh, because you graduated from Trinity College in Dublin, and they very (laughs) famously have one of the most beautiful libraries in the world, I... What was it like having access to that library every day?
0: I mean, it's, it's exquisite. It really is one of the most special places that I've ever been and probably featured largely in my decision to, to go to Trinity <laughs> walking into that library and thinking, oh my God, I could see this every day. Um, of course, you end up not doing that because it's not... Uh, the, the really beautiful part of the library isn't so much a functional library. You can't really go there and work because it's all these just ancient, beautiful texts. Um, so you end up working in, like, a concrete block just down the, <laughs> down the hallway. Um, but that's also sort of, like, magical and quiet and peaceful. And I would find myself just visiting the the beautiful bits of the library to look at the nice, you know, busts of 18th century men um, and, and and look at the light that's very carefully filtered through the window, <laughs> not
1: ruined books. <laughs> I, I was, I'm curious, because I've actually had a few friends who have studied there, and I'm just wondering, does it ever get annoying seeing, like, tourists constantly walking through? I, I will admit, next year I'm actually I'm going to be one of those tourists walking through, but I, did it ever get kind of irritating, like, you're sitting like, okay, I'm trying to get work done, and there's people taking pictures, and, you know, like you said, you're not in that exact, you know, the reading room with the ancient text and stuff, but I imagine it probably gets a little agitating
0: little bit it's uh, it's not bad because I really I understand why people want to come and see that place it is just it is exquisite walking through the front arch of that university I mean you just it, it feels good and you want to just wander around and take pictures and soak it up and think about all the people who've walked in that exact spot before um, again I think that's one of the reasons I ended up wanting to go there um, and you know I lived in Paris so nothing can really top the <laughs> tourist overload that is being in Paris in summertime so Trinity's got nothing I, I, I let the Americans tromp through with their sneakers and take pictures of <laughs> the book of Kells, I don't mind
1: um, did you have a preference between Paris or Trinity
0: they're very different cities mm-hmm. um, gosh uh, the weather's slightly better in Paris I guess its well, <laughs> a little less rainy. That's fair. Um, but I lived in Dublin for longer, and uh, a, a lot of my family' is Irish. so I, I think I feel a a sense of rootedness or just having spent a lot of time there, that maybe Paris will always feel a little bit distant from me also because of French. Um, <laughs> Paris, you know, it's it's home, but it's also it will always be a little bit foreign, whereas Dublin Dublin's kind of in my blood.
1: Um, did you while you were in Paris and, and I guess I suppose in Dublin as well, did you do kind of the touristy things? I I'm imagining living in Paris for really any amount of time. I you know, when you live somewhere you tend to not realize all the wonderful stuff around you, but they have so many museums and just it's architecture and everything it's that
0: it's completely, you kind of like everything is a tourist activity. You sit in a cafe and it's like, oh yes, this is where Malamai was hanging out. <laughs> and you walk down the street and there's a plaque saying, you know, Simone de Beauvoir lived here. Um, so it's kind of the whole city, I, I, it's almost like living in Disneyland to some extent, um, just because everything just has a history and a, a, a draw for visitors. Um, and you find yourself not really needing to, you know, you do the museums when people come to visit you in town, you do the little tour when you have someone who comes (laughs) for the weekend, and then the rest of the time, you're just sort of soaking it up naturally because that's the sort of city it
2: is. So, you know, moving away from those libraries (laughs) and maybe more to more local libraries, um, do you have any memories of going to the
0: library when you were younger? Oh, God, yes. Um, So I grew up in a small town outside of Ithaca, and our little public library was in this great old stone building that looked out on a creek, um, and it was kind of spooky and strange. And the children's reading section was downstairs in the basement, um, and you'd go down there, and it was the same same light every single day, and it just smelled really musty and damp. <laughs> um, and I remember just, you know, being allowed to only pick out however many books, four or five at a time, and just always struggling with that and trying to negotiate with my mother and the librarian. Um, and then upstairs was the adult section, and you'd climb up this, like, wrought iron curly key staircase, and kids weren't really supposed to go up there, um, you know, adult books. Um, and I remember the first time I did it, and no one, no one called me out. And that was just, like, this exhilarating, I was climbing up the staircase, waiting, 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 nope, no one's going to yell, business, I'm in business. Um, and then just lurking back in the, in the bookshelves upstairs.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Do you remember some of the books that you read when you were younger?
0: Um, I definitely got into uh, French, big French novels. Um, <laughs> the Count of Monte Cristo and The Miserables were my favorite books from about the age of nine to 15, I oh would say. Oh my God. And I read both of them, like, at least a couple times a year. <laughs> okay. I loved them. That...
1: <laughs> You can't see us because yeah. we're on a podcast <laughs> and we're on the phone, but both of our jaws just, like, dropped. Like, That's impressive. yeah,
2: not so much of the Count Monte Cristo, but once you get to <laughs> Victor Hugo, it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously, I, I, I certainly, when I read it, read them for the first time at 9 or 10 obviously you don't understand a good chunk of what you're reading. The County of Monte Cristo is a little bit more accessible because it's, you know, it's serialized adventure. You can get that sense of pacing and excitement. But it wasn't until I started to maybe learn French and also learn a little bit about French history uh, when I was getting into my early teens. I was like, oh, so that's what's going on here. Man, (laughs) that makes so much more sense now. Um, So I really got to kind of chart my own learning about the world or learning about France at the very least. Alright. Uh, just by reading and rereading those books.
1: Well, and I will say oh, Cana Monte Cristo weird. is also probably more approachable because it's not, you know, a thousand pages yeah. or however long what is something it's a big book. absurd like that. It's pretty,
0: Close, though. I mean, they're both massive. I see a picture, I have there's a picture of me in the hammock reading these books, and I just look at them, and it's the size of my upper body. <laughs> <laughs> what a pretentious pain in the neck, I must have said. <laughs> um,
1: so I have to tell you, we, Jill is a huge Stephen King fan, and we've had several of our authors that we've interviewed tell us that they read it when they were really, really young. And for a while that was always the that was the thing that blew our minds the most. But this might this is right up there. This might be, if not as impressive, more impressive. I think
2: so, yeah.
1: Man. Oh, good for you. i that's amazing. Well thanks.
0: <laughs> I wish I could go back to those reading days when I hadn't ever read either of those books and there were so many so many fun things to discover. Yeah. You know, that that early those teen years where you're reading all kinds of new books. I don't know if you ever get that that back.
2: Yeah. So at the end of every podcast, we do what we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine, we call them rapid fire, but they're they never not are. really. Yeah. But uh, they're just really <laughs> quick, easy, fun questions. Um, so you ready? Yep. Okay. <laughs> what is the last book you finished reading? Uh, Down City. I finished it last night. And, your, and Leah Carroll. your favorite place to read? Um, hmm, outside. Guilty pleasure? Uh, wine.
1: <laughs> Should have seen that coming.
2: Okay, I feel like this yeah, is going no to be surprises. an interesting. Yeah, this question What is one place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? South America. Favorite holiday? Oh, probably going to South Africa. Uh, are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Coffee.
0: Cats or dogs? Dogs.
1: That's the right answer. Good job.
0: <laughs> I know. My dog's sitting right at me. He wouldn't he would, he wouldn't like it if I answered otherwise. It's
2: a very long-standing...
1: It's a battle. It's a
2: battle between Adam and I. We're like <laughs> probably half and half. I think it's more dogs, yeah. but perhaps with some cat owners. Um, do you have a
0: favorite food? Oh, gosh, no. I eat everything, um, and I love everything and variety.
2: That's especially. an acceptable answer. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you pick? Oh, yikes.
0: Um, and I eat Oh, that's wow, a good answer. That's a really
1: good one. Um, <laughs> our last question for you is, what do you hope readers take away from reading dead letters?
0: Uh, a sense of joy in reading of really wanting to turn pages and just get to you know find out what happens next in a story
1: perfect kate thank you so much for joining us today
0: thank you so much this is fun
2: readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace